Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. You heard our podcast of GP Pluet yesterday. Go and check that out if you haven't listened to that already. I'm here with my co-host, Benji Nyson. You know us both from YouTube. I'm from the Lantern Rouge YouTube channel. Benji is from the eponymous Benji Nyson YouTube channel. He covers pro cycling manager gameplay, but he probably knows more about cycling and who's in the pro peloton than just about anyone else in the world i think i'm here in brisbane it's 12 30 at night and we're just getting this tour de france preview done where are you calling in from benji i'm calling in from belgium it's 5 p.m here right now firstly i'd like to thank you for the kind words you've introduced me with because yeah i do follow cycling a lot but it's always fun to hear that we got no we got no where do sponsors we don't have a sponsor thing to fill in right now so we're gonna get straight to the preview it's gonna be long enough as it is maybe save this one if you're going for a long ride a long drive, you got no friends with you, download it because we're going to get stuck into this preview more than anyone else is going to. We're going to go stage by stage. We're going to talk about all the dominant teams and what we think is going to happen in this year's Tour de France. But first, let's go over the start list. In fact, I'll just tell you the favourites are for GC. So for the overall general classification, this is in order of favouritism. And I'm doing this by the current the current betting odds. They're the fairest arbiter of favouritism. Obviously, in Germany, people think Buchmann has is underrated, and maybe in France, people think Thibaut Pinot is higher rated than he is. But as an objective measure of who's favourites, Roglic is favourite. He has about a 33% chance of winning, implied chance. Bernal is just behind him, the second favourite. He's been given about a 28% chance of winning. Thibaut Pinot Third favourite, a big gap between Roglic and Bernal. We're going to talk about this as potentially being a two-horse race between Ineos and Jumbo Visma, but that's borne out in the current odds beforehand. Thibaut Pino has got about a 9% chance of winning, and then that's just in front of Tom Dumoulin, who's been given an 8% chance of winning. And then fifth favourite, newly recruited into the Tour de France, ripped out of the Giro squad, Richard Carapath, about a 6% five and a half percent chance of winning and then Tato Pagacha four and a half five percent chance of winning sixth but they're the real six favorites there's then a big gap to Alaphilippe and Buchmann each with about a two two and a half percent chance of winning respectively and Sivakov, Landa, Quintana, Miguel Angel Lopez, Daniel Felipe Martinez, Sepp Kuss, they're all in the one percent sort of chance of winning so very very big outsiders perhaps bigger outsiders than we'd really think. Benji, hearing those odds, and the odds are what they are, what's your initial reaction? Is anything really surprising to you? Do you think someone is grossly underrated or overrated for their GC prospects? When it comes to the names we've already heard now, I've got the feeling that we obviously have to look at Ineos versus Jumbo firstly, because those names are the big hitters when it comes to the last month in cycling. I do have the feeling that we shouldn't focus too hard on these teams only because there are some parties that would like to take the victory here as well. You said it, Buchmann. But I'm also naming some names that might not be so easy to think of at first. We had a Tour de France last year. And with a bit of luck, well, with a bit of strength, Alaphilippe came into yellow in the first week last year. I personally have not seen too much of Alaphilippe in the Dauphiné and such. But we can never look past them after what he showed last year. Names like that can really surprise. And it certainly is a parkour that suits him personally. Looking at the first week for sure, but we'll go into that later. Next to that, there are some younger names like at EF Pro Cycling. We just had the Dauphiné winner, Daniel Felipe Martinez. He can certainly show something as well. 
honestly, it's one of the more open Tour de France's we've had in years. Guillaume Martin, I didn't even mention him. I can't even see him. He's 450, 500 to 1. Now, he doesn't have the team to realistically contend for the Tour de France, nor is he really a top five climber either, but he can certainly be up there with the GC guys, spicing things up. My personal view is I don't have a personal view because going through these names, just updating you all, and I think it might be useful for everyone to have the full context of uh, what we know based on public information of people's health situation. Primoz Roglic stage, what was it, four of the Criterium de Dauphiné crashed. Bad road rash, concussion-like symptoms, according to Wad Van Aert, his teammate, and according to Primoz's Instagram the other day, his recovery was not going as quickly as he expected. So for me, there's actually quite a big question mark over the condition of Primoz Roglic. I think at the very least, his preparation will have been negatively affected. When he won that stage two of the Criterium de Dauphiné, I, I was ready to call the Tour de France GC. I thought there's no way anyone can contest with both his strength as the strongest rider and being on the strongest team. But that crash, also on the same day, his teammate Stefan Kreuzweig crashed, dislocated his shoulder. He's out of the Tour de France. The day before that, Egan Bernal, or maybe it was that morning, I can't remember, at the Dauphiné, Egan Bernal pulled out with back, citing back pain. Now, I think that might be kind of fake news, given that he was seen training that morning and there was no chance they were really going to contest GC, but still a question mark nonetheless. Thibaut Pino, he crashed, I think, on that stage, but no real question marks over him. Tom Dumoulin coming back from an injury. He hadn't raced in 420 days before this season restarted. Uh, but he has looked good, and he looked good in Stage 5 Dauphiné, but still, how will he go in a three-week stage race? Richard Carapath crashed in Tour de Pologne, had to pull out, or he was at least hurt more than just a mild bit of road rash at the Tour de Pologne, and he just got pulled out of his preparation for the Giro d'Italia and sent to the Tour de France for Ineos. Fifth favourite, so there's two question marks for him. Tadej Pogacar, no crashes or anything of that nature, but maybe hasn't been as dominant as I expected him to be. Emmanuel Buchmann, quite a bad crash in the Dauphiné. The same one Kreuzweig had been involved with. It's, there's still a question mark over whether Buchmann even starts. That's a lot of question marks. I've just gone through pretty much all of the GC favourites. And it's a bit of a shame, but I thought that's that's where everyone's at. Maybe we could get a really bizarre winner if all the cards or dominoes fall and a lot of riders are injured and Roglic pulls out, it could make the Tour de France even more open than it is. But anyway, that's the main GC riders. Just looking at the main sprinters in the race, obviously there's Caleb Ewan uh, for Lotto Sudal. Dylan Groenewegen obviously isn't going, but he never was going. What do you think, Benji, and I heard this in some people on Twitter talking about this, what do you think about Groupama FDJ not taking a sprinter at all and leaving Demar at home. Apparently that's what they're doing. I find it extremely odd, certainly because Demar is showing extreme strength at the moment, winning both the French NC and also a few stages in the Tour de Wallonie and eventually the GC as well. He is really in form. I think he won Milano-Torino as well, but I'm not 100% sure of that. Yes, he did. Next to that, his lead-out train is absolutely crazy right now. They are so good at bringing him to the front at the exact right moment. Next to that, I've got plenty of sprinters on my list, to be honest. There are so many sprinters that 
can do well here, but I've got the feeling that it will most likely be you and that is the shining person in these sprints. I agree. That's what I like to hear. And it's such a hard profile. We really only have two of the top sprinters in the world, Ewan and Bennett. I have in my top, the top sprinters is, I'm not sure if you have a different view. I've got Ewan, Gaviria, Bennett, and Kronewegen. Correct me if I'm missing anybody. Um, and Damar, sorry. And Damar, that's the fifth now. I'm now putting him in that category. Elie Viviani, he is at the Tour de France, but his lead out now, Cofidis, he has shown nothing this year that really excites me. So it really is two top-tier sprinters and Lotto set up completely around Caleb Ewan with the goal of getting him stage wins and obviously De Gent and Gilbert maybe going for breakaways. And De Koenig not taking a full lead-out train for Sam Bennett. And then there's a really big drop-off to the riders like Colbrelli, uh, Elia Viviani, are we going to see riders almost like Clement Venturini getting top fives or, you know, Matteo Trentin's not showing too much this year. So do you think it's a weak sprint field as a whole? And do you think it's too weak? Do you think teams have overreacted to the profile and they're going to actually miss out on potential sprint wins? Or do you think it is too hard for a lot of the pure sprinters like Gavidia? I think we've got four pure, four or five pure sprint stages that I do see in the possibility of a sprinter winning. But... I think one of those at least already has hills and there are other stages that end in flat parts, but certainly have a lot of climbs that will most likely defy a sprint. I am noticing that a lot of teams are having sprinters at the start that have the ability to climb somewhat. I would have said that about Caleb Ewan as well. I'm not sure at the moment. Milano Sanremo was a bit of a meh moment for him in my opinion. I'm sincerely doubtful what you think of Sunweb not taking matches here because Kesbo, oh, I don't, don't think he's going to get over many climbs, although I hope it for Sunweb. But yeah, go ahead. I mentioned this at the time when Sunweb announced their team and it's almost a meme at this point and you've set, you've tri- you've set me up to be triggered already. We're only 10 minutes into this preview podcast. But if there was ever a Tour de France where a rider could really contest the green jersey instead of and break Peter Sagan's dominance of it. I know Matthews won in 2017, but Sagan was kicked out of the race. This is the year for it, with Sagan not looking uh, in the best shape of his life. Also, Case Bowl, you mentioned he's not going to get a, he's not going to be contesting these sprints. Any any stages with a bit of a hill in it, even stage one, Case Bowl's not going to get top ten. In that stage, and there's no way they don't even have that great a team around him. Yeah, Casper Pedersen, but I just it makes no sense to me that they didn't take Matthews. It's not like he's leaving the team next year. He's still on the team. I thought this looked like a perfect Tour de France for him, you know. And instead, you're going to see riders who are like the Michael Matthews light, a worse version of him, Giacomo Nizzolo, who is looking fantastic this year. Just won the Italian national championships, but Michael Matthews is better than Giacomo Nizzolo. He, you you got to adjust the sliders there for Matthews. And I think we're going to see Nizzolo is going to actually be getting top threes in stages, at least. And I'd also like to add someone. We uh, haven't spoken about a rider that is supposedly destined to ride as a domestique, but could honestly compete for Green if he tried after what he did on the first stage of the Dauphiné and throughout the whole month of August, pretty much. Wout Fanard. Honestly, 
I, as a Belgian, would be pretty sad if he doesn't even try to take any proper sprint stages. He said that he's interested in trying to go for it on the Champs-Élysées, but I believe if he tries to go for it on stage one, or even if he can somehow survive stage two the same way he did at the start of the Dauphiné, then that is possible, but we'll get to those stages soon enough. What do you think about Wout van Aert at this Tour de France? If Roglic is not in great condition at the start, if Roglic doesn't start, they have to ride as priority 1A, Wout van Aert green, priority 1B, Tom Dumoulin, yellow jersey. I think you then have to balance up. Yes, yellow jersey is more important than the green jersey, but Wout van Aert maybe has a 50... You know, if, if we rode for Wout and let him go for green, he probably has a... I would say a 50 to 60% chance of winning it. Whereas Dumoulin has maybe, without Roglic, a you know, 12 to 15% chance of winning yellow. So I think they should really, if Roglic isn't in great condition, let Wout have some liberties if Roglic is still there. And yeah, let take the pressure off Roglic as well in that first stage. I don't see what the harm is in letting Tony and Hesink and uh, Amund Grondal Janssen, who is quite good on the flats, and he actually was working for Wout as his last man at Milano Sanremo on the Poggio. I, I think they should work for Wout in that first stage. Get him in yellow, take a bit of the pressure off Roglic, who I think would appreciate that as well. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I think Jumbo Visma should do. And I, I think if they let him ride the green jersey, I'd, he'd be my pick over Sagan. He's, he's outclimbing Sagan by far at the moment. And honestly, I think the best next step we can do here is take a look at the stages because we might as well name everybody at the moment because there's plenty of people that have an opportunity for stage wins. But these stages have some extremely special format in the sense that it's looking more like a Velta. Don't you think so as well? Yeah, that's a good point. Let's get. I'm, I just I just mentioned stage one. Let's talk about stage one, which is indicative of how Vuelta liked this Tour de France is, and we're gonna we're gonna keep adding our thoughts in here and there. But we've mentioned that the main players. We'll talk about our picks for yellow, green, king of the mountains, and young rider at the end of the podcast. Uh, but now we're gonna use the stages as a backbone to to really get into this preview and stage one, indicative of the entirety entirety of this Tour de France. 156 kilometers long. So two category threes, six kilometers at five percent. Uh, they do two laps of the Côte de Rimier, and then a finish in Nice. So it starts in Nice, finishes in Nice. And I remember Caleb Dewan. I think he lives in Nice, Nice or Monaco. Pretty sure he does. He was doing a recce of this, and he, I think he joked on Instagram or Twitter or something about, "Hey, what the hell." ASO or Tour de France. This ain't this ain't my the normal stage one sprint stage. <laughs> this has actually got some gen like some climbs in it, and I think that's yeah that is what this Tour de France is. It's a hard first week. So who do you how do you see that first stage playing out? Will it still ultimately be a routine sprint? I think that it might be more of a sprint than we are expecting. I'm going to dare to say that they're not going to push on it because I don't see. Who would be benefiting off of this outside of, for example, if Jumbo really puts it on Wout van Aert, but they probably won't do that because they'll be focusing on Roglic, I would say. Because I don't expect them to put their men up to get Wout van Aert a victory here. Exactly. The, the, what's what's going to happen? Asia Duala Mondial are going to commit their whole team to try and set up Cosnefroy or Venturini to make it hard enough for them or Byron McLaren 
are they going to be strong enough? You know, it's not hard enough for the likes of Colbrelli and Cosnefroy and uh, Venturini. I just don't think the climbs are too hard. You know, Philip Gilbert, if he wasn't on Lotto Sadal and he was back in his heyday, maybe he, you know, maybe he does something or I don't know. But it's the first stage. I don't actually expect too much to happen, to be honest. No one's really going to be incentivized to over the top of the Cotarumier then another 50 kilometers. Yeah, sure. There might be a BNB Hotels or Total Direct Energy rider as a flyer and, you know, the peloton gives gives him a minute, a minute and a half. But no, I think it's going to be a sprint. And whilst I don't think it'll be won by a rider on those climbs, yeah, I think. I think a rider might be dropped. Uh, one of the sprinters might be dropped. You know, wh- what about Connor Swift? Uh, Team Marquez Samzik have brought him instead of Nasibuani. Does he does he climb any better than Nasibuani? I don't see him really doing anything for the sprint properly. So I wouldn't even write him down <laughs> for to, for that day at least. So my pick is Caleb Ewan wearing yellow after stage one. I'm going to dare and say that we're going to have a surprise winner and that Giacomo Nizzolo is going to win this one. Okay, well, you've, you've picked one of my favorite riders, so I can't disagree with you. So that's stage one. <laughs> Giacomo Nizzolo winning his first Grand Tour stage, stage one to the France. <laughs> Finally, after the last one was taken so horribly in that Giro he, way he, back. He got disqualified, yeah. Stage two. Now, this is, this is. I think David Millar was talking to him on an ITV preview, and he was like, this stage is like they forgot this is the Tour de France and said it was actually the Vuelta. Stage two, Nice to Nice again, two Category 1s and a Category 2. They do Col de la Colmienne uh, within the first... They start that at 45Ks into the 186-kilometre stage, 16.3Ks at 6.3% average gradient. Now, the sprint, intermediate sprint, for Peter Sagan's benefit, is actually in the first 16Ks, so... If that had been, if the intermediate sprint had been after one of those Cat Ones, that would have suited Wapana. But I think Sagan will be, you know, all the sprinters will be there for that intermediate. They then descend into Roque Billier, and then they start the Col de Torini, fifteen k's at seven and a half percent. That's not an easy climb, you know. And then they've got about eighty-six kilometers to go, and then they have a Category Two Col d'Ez, eight kilometers at six point one percent average gradient, and then. Col de Quatre Chemin. Do you think anything can happen on that that climb with about ten k's to go? I do think so, and I actually feel like this stage is just a combination of Paris In my honest opinion, we've had the Tourini in the past in Paris Colmion as well. We also had a lot of Col time trials there, so it just feels like they put the whole Paris history in one stage, which I really love. We've got the Col de Quatre Chemin, like you mentioned, and I believe that we might see potentially an attack of Alaphilippe on that in the sense that I really think that it, this would fit him. This reminds me of that stage that he attacked together with Pinot. I think that was last year in there. Yes. And they took bonus seconds or something. I believe that Alaphilippe will uh, take yellow on stage two. I think three French riders will attack here. And I think Pinot can't help himself with attacking and I actually think it'd be a good place for him to try and put some pressure on Yumbo Visma. He's he's got a he doesn't have this a, a stronger team as any of us in Yumbo Visma. He's gotta take 
opportunities, particularly if Roglic is not in great condition in that first week and just working into the race, take some opportunities to gain time on Roglic because he's probably not going to put time into Roglic. No, he, he will not put time into Roglic in the time trial. He will lose time. So we have to always remember when we're looking at these stages, but from a GC perspective, keep in the back of your head, stage 20, Planche de Belfi time trial, which suits Roglic and Dumoulin and does not really suit Bernal and Pino. All things being equal and normal, injuries aside, Dumoulin and Roglic will be putting time into those other two riders. So if Roglic isn't looking good, you know, perfect stage like this, Benoit Cosnefroy, does he attack with Philippe and Pino on that little rise? Great opportunity for those guys. I also have an other name selected for this one in the sense that I think the stage would be perfect for him, but he did crash in the Dauphiné and has not really shown anything decent since that crash. And that was Sergio Higuita. I feel like this is also the kind of stage that is for him. I don't 100% remember his downhill skills. It's also not the steepest downhill, but I really believe that this kind of finish is good for him. And next to that, I believe that he's got still that bit of anonymity when it comes to the real Tour de France. He's been good at, I think it was La Vuelta last year. And I've got the feeling that the Peloton might actually allow him to like, well, not allow him to ride away, but might not directly respond in compared to, for example, a Pinot attacking or an Philippe attacking. So I've got Higita written down here, depending on how good he is after that crash. I think this stage will be too hard for even uh, semi-sprinters that can climb, like Colbrelli. Uh, it'll be too hard for them. And, yeah, maybe it's... I hope that there'll be attacks from maybe even Pogaccia, uh, Pino and co. I don't, I don't really have a firm feeling on who will win, but I think the Category 1s will actually be ridden conservatively and there won't be too much happening on those category ones and then i think people will try and launch on those last two climbs uh for stage win into nice there's a team that we have not mentioned even at all and that is movistar and on usual occasions in the previous years we would obviously point out Fulverde every single time on a stage like this but this year he's really not shown it and it's closing down to the fact that he's obviously getting older, but you can never really write him down because he won the World Championships while being relatively old in the sense of being a pro cyclist. Do you expect something of Movistar as a team because they have Enric Maas and Valverde? I'm not expecting much from Valverde. He looked, he didn't, he looked a lot off the pace at uh, at Dauphiné, and I'm not sure what his training's been like during lockdown, but. I'm not expecting him to come out all guns blazing in in this stage too. I'm I'm expecting Valverde to be largely anonymous for at least ten days, and then just try and get into breakaways, and then try and be the strongest rider in in one of the hard stages in a breakaway, and try and win win a stage from there. But yeah, he won't be contesting GC, and I don't expect to see him in this week one. But stage three. Again, out of Nice to Cisteron, the entirety of this Tour de France is pretty much in the southeast of France. Another rolly stage. This is classified as a sprint as a sprint stage. Christian Prudhomme's comment is 
The riders are inspired by the perfumes of grass as they leave the Nice area. They will then ride along the route Napoleon with far less obstacles than the ones witnessed by the Emperor. The flat final part of the stage shouldn't trouble the plans of the sprinters' teams. Okay, that's being that's nice of you to say that, Christian, but let me read you the climbs. Col du Pilon, 8.5k is 5%. Straight into the Col de la Fée, 5.5k is 5%. Another category, that's two Category 3s. Third Category 3, Col de uh, Ligue, 7k is at 5.5%. And then there's a little Category 4 as well. And then there's the intermediate sprint at uh, Digne-les-Bains with about 40 kilometers to go. So... Not the easiest sprint stage and a false flat uphill finish. Do you think this is still ultimately going to be a sprint stage? I believe it's going to be a reduced bunch going for it. I don't expect a breakaway to already shine through on these fast stages. I've got the feeling that there's too many teams in the peloton that will try and do it for a sprint still. And definitely the teams that have hilly sprinters, we've got a few on the menu like CCC's here with Matteo Trentin. We've got Peter Sagan, obviously. He might not overly have the team because everybody will be supporting Bookman. So I don't know how that will really go. I don't know about Ewan. I'm not sure if he can survive this. Depends on yeah, the pace, I guess. <laughs> That's obvious. Yeah, it all depends on the pace they do the climbs. Yeah. Um, he will have the team committed to bringing him back. I guess my... You know who I would pick to win this stage if he was riding this race? Uh, even Garcia Cortina. He won a similar stage, didn't he, in Paris-Nice? I remember that was a nasty Paris-Nice stage. I, I would really like Garcia Cortina in this uphill false flight sprint. Uh, I think it could be quite a hard stage. Or if they if they were riding for him, I'd just pick Wildfire Nut. That's, I mean, that's, that's my simple answer. I know, I, we, we, you know we, we try to be really smart and get cute with it, but ultimately I think Wildfire Nut could win this stage too, but we just don't know to what extent he will be really holding all his cards close. I mean, I don't really see a problem with Jumbo Visma if there's no GC issues, letting him sit on the back of a Lotto Sedal and Takoni Quickstep train and having a crack at the sprint. But yeah, I'm not sure. I don't have any issue with that. Or do you think they won't even let him do that? I think if he is in the peloton, then he most likely will be allowed to go for it. That is what I would expect, at least, because a pro team should not really just give up on a potential stage win for one sprint of effort, I think. Next to that, I'm not a sprinter, so I can't really expect to say how much a sprint influences the next days of domesticing, so I can't really say much about that, but I believe that you can recover from that, from just an extra sprint. As an addition, I would dare to say that I would go for Peter Sagan here. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because I hope that he finds somewhat of a form in the Tour de France because he has really brought cycling a level higher in the last few years. Well, quite a few years back already, but I believe that I should hold a bit of hope that Peter Sagan has something to show and I think it's going to happen on this stage. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, he's he doesn't look as good as 2015, 2016 Peter Sagan, granted. But if the stage is too hard for, if any of these stages is too hard for Sam Bennett and Caleb Ewan, he's next in line then to become, you know, he has to be the favourite for that stage then as a sprinter. He's probably going to have, what, Postelberger, Oss and Groschardner helping him. 
not not the best, but it's not too bad either. Those are really experienced guys, and they do put him in pretty good position. Alexander Kristoff, we haven't mentioned him. UAE will be bringing him apparently. I, don't, I haven't seen too much out of him, and yeah, I'd be surprised. You know, if this was 2015, 2014, yeah, I'd be saying this could be a stage for him, but I haven't seen too much out of him. Stage four, I'm not sure if you're looking at it, Benji. I know I'm butchering the, the French pronunciation and you're going to do a lot better job than me. <laughs> it's said as it's an altitude finish, a bit of a mistranslation from Christian Prudhomme. It's a mountaintop finish or a, hill, it's a hilltop finish, 1,800 metres altitude, Orsier Malet, they're finishing a Category 1, 7.1Ks at 7%. Not the hardest climb, but not the easiest stage either. Quite a hard day for Stage 4. Again, the intermediate sprint is before all the climbing starts, so Peter Sagan will be pleased to see that. I don't think too much will happen on this stage. In general, I believe that, yeah, it's going to be quite a fast finish in the sense that that last climb is not overly steep, so I believe it's going to be quite a fast ascent of that climb. I believe that it's a perfect finish to do a Roglic train like we saw in the Dauphiné to just set it up and have him sprint the last kilometer because that's basically what happened at the Dauphiné on a similar finish. Do you believe that something like that is possible or do you think that the stage is not hard enough to pull something like that off? I think if he was on fantastic form, yeah, I'd be picking Roglic. And I'd also be picking Carapath in top three as well in this stage. I really like Carapath in a, in a finish like this. I just think it could be much more interesting than the Dauphiné, which was just Jumbo Visma training, Yost train, where Jumbo Visma will want to control the race, but they're also not wanting to be putting their own leader, Roglic, under massive pressure with, you know, stage four of the Tour de France after he's just been posting on Instagram, what, two days ago that he's, you know, <laughs> he's had his first ride outside and we've got we've got a week, you know, I've got four days until the Tour de France. So I don't know if 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 Roglic is looking fantastic, stage two Dauphiné form, yeah, Yamba Visma going to light it up. <laughs> They'll go Wavanak, Helsink, Dumoulin, Bennett, Coos, you name it. They'll, they could absolutely, absolutely destroy this, but I don't know if they'll want to. Um, so I, I actually quite like Carapath for this stage. One thing we haven't really thought about around this stage is the fact that there's also the possibility of the breakaway winning, obviously. Is there enough incentive for the GC guys to go for this stage? Because I've got the feeling that this might just be a breakaway victory because there's just not that much incentive to go for it yet. You don't want to be in yellow in the first week, I would guess, unless your name is an Alaphilippe because that seems to boost him quite a lot when he comes with motivation and his strength. So I feel like it might also be a breakaway win. And if I had to put a name on it, then I would dare to say someone along the lines of Thomas de Gent is obviously one of the names that you could name, but I'm not sure about it. I feel like a third week stage might fit him more. Maybe an Aspetest. Pierre Latour, Davide Formolo. For UAE, will, will UAE let Davide Formolo get into the break or will he be restricted to helping uh, Tare Pogaccio? Adam Yates, Michelin Scott are going only only for stage wins. They've said that. Adam Yates, Daryl Impey might be a little bit hard for Impey. Esteban Chavez. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'm, I feel bad for not mentioning that. If you're Jumbo Visma, 
I'd let the break go all day. I'd let the break go if it doesn't have anyone and just let try and have as chill a day as possible. If I'm in Ineos, I let the break go because Egan Bernal is not gaining much time. The amount of energy they'd have to expend to gain time on this stage and they probably wouldn't get, end up gaining any time. It's not hard enough. So what's the point in really controlling proceedings? Um, even if Bernal, even if that back injury was kind of faked. The only reason I would see Ineos lighting it up is if they've got some sort of read on Roglic that he's really struggling and then they obviously would put the hammer down. But apart from that, why not let the break go? And honestly, one stage that I don't expect the break to win is stage five because I believe that that is a perfect finishing point for a hilly sprinter. I, I love I love Venturini and, and Cosnefroy. I'm just going to keep picking them. <laughs> uh, honestly, again, Wav Van Aert could win this stage. Wav Van Aert could easily win this stage. Uh, I'll keep repeating that too. But, you know, if the break is up the road and Jumbo Visma don't even have Roglic in the team and the break is two minutes up the road, then of course Tony Martin will pull that break back uh, and work really hard to set up a Wav Van Aert sprint. But if <laughs> if Benoit Cosnefra is a minute up the road or Thomas Tachent, probably more likely than Benoit Cosnefra, then Martin with Roglic there, they're just going to ride tempo. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it will be too hard for the Ewans. I don't see Ewan as being in the condition to contest this. I think the climb will be too hard. I've got the feeling that this finish in Privas kind of reminds me of the Bielsko-Biala stage in Tour de Polonia where I think Kwiatkowski won there. Do you think that a Kwiatkowski could have an opportunity here or do you think that he's going to be too focused on the GC of his team? Do any else ever let their riders do that? I can't remember. Can you ever remember uh, any else Sky Rider getting a chance for stage win in Tour de France? Usually when they put their riders in a break, it's strategic for GC purposes. So, yeah, I, I don't think... Just like with Wapanat, Kwiatkowski's got the handcuffs on. Stage 6 our second mountaintop finish for the week, although it flattens off for the second half. Mont, oh well, <laughs> correct me, Benji. Benji, tell me how to pronounce that correctly. Okay, tell to Montegual. All right, listen, most of the people that listen to this podcast are probably not native native French speakers or uh, speak French, so they're just as bad as me. So no, I don't want to hear any Apple Store reviews, by the way, go to Apple Store, go to Spotify, give us a five-star review so we can get this going. I don't want to see any reviews unless it is five-star complaining about my pronunciation. But this stage is 191 kilometers long, another stage just under 200 k's, flat, flat, flat for 155 k's. And then there's a couple of lumps, a couple of Category 3s, capped cost, 2 k's, 7.5%. Again, the intermediate sprints before any climbing. And then we've got the Col de la Luzette and finishing with uh, Monteguel. So it's a Category 1 into a mountaintop finish. The first, the Category 1 Col de la Luzette is hard, much, much harder than the actual final climb, you know, 12 kilometers long at 7.5%. This reminds me a little bit of that Primoz Roglic stage that he won uh in 2018 now i know that was on on a descent finish but this reminds me just because it has a climb with a false quite a hard climb then a false summit and then a short descent and then another sort of long long drag um but i think this really suits primos roglic and jumbo visma to be honest 
the last portion is not exactly very steep. So if you get over the cold Luzette part, then you've basically survived the last portion. After that, there's a bit of a false flat to the line that is, from my guess, around 3-4%. That is what I would guess. Might be less even. I am expecting that a breakaway wins here. I am not sure about who can do that, but if Lutsenko is allowed to go for a stage, I believe that this stage would fit him. Yeah, Lutsenko, I mean, he's he's looked very hot and cold since the return from lockdown. He got dropped much earlier than I expected, I think, in either Tudela or Criterium de Dauphiné, especially for a man who was not very far behind Nari Quintana in the uh, climb to from the Montmartre 2 to Chalet Renard climb in February. He came, I think, third in that stage, and getting he got dropped very early there. But then he has looked okay in other stages. So, yeah, he could be a man for this. Alaphilippe, again, depending on what he's trying to do. With Alaphilippe, the problem for Alaphilippe this year is I don't think he's going to get this, he's not going to get the same leash. And I don't think the GC teams are going to allow him as much license to go off and do the things he did last year in the first week. Uh, just because of how close it ended up being um, at the end of 2019, Tour de France. But Domenico Pozzavivo, I mean, what's if he's not going for stages like this and trying to get into the breakaway, then what? what's the point? <laughs> I don't see a... Domenico Pozzavivo doing anything this Tour de France. <laughs> you're out? You're out on Pozzavivo? I'm not against him, but I have seen him at Bahrain steadily going down when it comes to his strength or at least his performances. And honestly, I was a big fan of him the moment that he was fighting in that Giro against Eschadol quite a lot of years back. And I think this is not going to be a year where he is at his best for a potential GC, nor for stages. He just doesn't have the finish, in my honest opinion. And certainly not on a finish like this. If it was pure climbing and on an actual climb, it instead of a 4% like last 10 kilometers or something, then he might be able to drop people. But on a 4% to the finish, I don't see that happening from Pozzo Vivo, honestly. Guess how many World Tour races Pozzo Vivo has won in a 15-year career? Two. Three. Ah, damn it. Which ones? It's crazy. It's crazy, isn't it? Stage in Tour de Suisse, stage in Giro. And uh, he won, yeah, I can't remember the other one. But yeah, he doesn't win a lot of races. But maybe, you know, speaking of other riders that could go for this, who I think, if they're not going for this, don't even turn up to the start line, Dan Martin uh, as well. I mean, honestly, Enric Maas should be trying to get into this break because he ain't contesting GC as well. But, yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure <laughs> what riders will be thinking. Personally, as a Belgian, I always have to name Thomas de Hand just in case it happens because he's going to select one stage and do it. So... I basically have to name every single stage that it's possible to be sure that I named him at the stage that it actually happens because he has the ability of selecting a stage that is basically different than the last 10 he won and still do it. So I don't know. What do you expect of a Mark Hirschi? Because I've got the feeling that he's shown really good strength in the climbing itself in the Dauphiné. He was always there in the last 15 to 20 riders. And I've got the feeling that a finish like this is perfect for him. Honestly, he's got the climbing skills to get over that with a group of relatively good breakaway riders. And he's got the finish. We've seen it before. I believe that a Mark Hirschi could win stages like this. 
for sure. You know, who won 2018 World Championships Road Race uh, under 23 ahead of Bjorg Lambrecht? And third was actually uh, Jako Heinen, who's looked very, very strong. And obviously, uh, you know, Bjorg Lambrecht, I don't think people realize how good a rider he was going to be. So, yeah, Hershey, very strong rider. He actually came third in Classic at uh, San Sebastian last year. So, you know, he's got that punch you're talking about. I know when I've been speaking to Sunweb, they're very, very high on him as a prospect. He's only 22 years old. I think this is his, what, first full year almost in um, in World Tour level. Yeah, he should be getting into breaks. So should Nairo, to be honest. I don't think he'll get the license to, but, you know, I don't think Nairo's winning this. I don't think Mikko Landa's contesting it either. So, yeah, a lot of people should be trying to get into this break. If Bora Hansgrohe can't bring Emmanuel Buchmann, do they send Leonard Kamner in every break that looks, you know, on every day that has a Category 1 climb in it? Uh, they should, and we saw what he can do in Dauphiné. Okay, Stage 7, Milau to Laval. In the areas of Aveyron and Tarn, where one doesn't quite know where flat is, flat means the roads are never, never easy. That's what Christian says, but this looks like a pretty easy day to me. Um, I think this will be a bunch sprint with all the big names. Yes, there's a 15K climb at 4% average gradient. That's just like the... Well, what's the climb up to the motorway in Milano-San Remo? That shouldn't bother uh, Bennett or Ewan one bit. There's a Category 4 climb, 1K, 7% average gradient, as well the Côte de Bolo. Um, but that's about 70 kilometers from the finish. And I think if someone like Ewan or Bennett lost... 10 seconds there or 8 seconds there, their team would be well, you know, more than capable of bringing them back before the finish in Laval. Do you think there's going to be a bunch sprint? I am actually thinking that it's going to be a mass sprint because I've got the feeling the climbs that are in that stage are just not hard enough to really put pressure on the uh, on these sprints. I believe this is one of these stages that has the ability of actually becoming a mass sprint. Do you think differently or? No, it's, a, it's going to be a bunch sprint. So we'll move on. Stage eight, we've got two category ones and an category climb, Pot de Ballet, and then there's a category one called the Persoud, which we all you probably have all heard before, ten kilometers at seven point eight percent, and then descent into the finish at Ludenville. So this kind of looks like the I've already mentioned it, the Primoz Roglic twenty eighteen stage. I'm not sure how technical that descent is off the Persoud. Do you know off the top of your head? Persoud is always kind of technical. I think it's also... I'm not sure about this. This could be very wrong, but isn't this the same descent that Fum attacked on a few years back in 2016, 2015? Yes, he attacked off the Persoud. I'm not sure which side, though. But he did attack off the Persoud in 2016 uh, when he put time into Quintana. I believe that this is also just kind of a, a perfect stage for a breakaway. There's not a lot of downhill descending stages that are one in the peloton in my honest opinion we sometimes have that happen but usually it is won by breakaway riders one or two surviving just the head of the elite group that has survived the climb quite a few of the elite group sometimes there's a gap sometimes not kind of reminds me a lot of those geo stages this format of three climbs and then a downhill to the finish line happens a lot in the Giro, more than in the tour de france if I recall correctly. We had one of those stages last year. I don't remember which one. And 
I don't know. I've got a feeling that there's going to be a sole breakaway rider taking victory here. And I might put my money on a rider like Alaphilippe or something, depending on how well he survives in the breakaway. There could be quite a few other riders that have the strength of surviving that. But yeah, it depends on whether they're allowed to do it or not and whether their GC is still active or not. If, for example, a rider has lost 10 minutes in the first week already, in the first two stages because of some bad luck or something, mechanical before that the second stage, the last climb or something, then you might see someone that has lost time trying to get into the breakaway already at this point. Yeah, so for the sake of this preview, I'm just going to assume Roglic is in pretty good health at this point. I think this is the perfect stage for Jumbo Visma to put pressure on Ineos. I'm just imagining right now the climbs will probably be too hard for Amador and that descent, if Roglic has got a gap, if Roglic is able to attack in that last kilometre of the Col de Persoud, and I don't even know how... Oh, this doesn't work with Dumoulin because he's not a fantastic descender. We saw that because Roglic dropped him in that 2018 Tour de France stage on the descent. But yeah, this would be a great place for Roglic to put Bernal under pressure. And yeah, I think Bernal is not on the level of Roglic as a descender. He's an okay descender, Bernal, but Roglic is probably one of the best in the world and maybe the best GC descender in the world. And, you know, there's bonus seconds as well. I think there's eight seconds at least for first place each stage in the Tour de France. So... Those seconds add up, especially if Roglic is be if he is in good form and he's beating Bernal to the punch in, you know, each each hilltop finish. Pino as well probably gobbling up second, Carapath third. If Simon Yates was at this Tour de France, I'd I'd love to put money on him as well in a stage like this, um, but he's not <laughs> for some reason. But yeah, I think that eleven point seven kilometers at eight percent second climb just would seem like a fantastic place for Jumbo Visma to isolate Bernal because who would be able to, if they really put the hammer down, who would be able to stay with the Jumbo Visma train? I'm talking if they got Bennett, Kuss, Dumoulin just cranking it for Roglic on that climb. Well, I think Carapath would get dropped, honestly. Um, I don't think he'd be able to, to hold the wheel. I think Sivakov would barely be able to hang on and wouldn't be that much used to Bernal either. He definitely, and he wouldn't be able to bring back an attack. So if Roglic is feeling really good, I'd be, if I was Jumbo Visma DS, I'd just be super aggressive on that climb. And given the condition of Kuss and Bennett, I would try and get multiple Jumbo Visma riders clear like they did in Tour de la, get multiple Jumbo Visma riders clear with Roglic and Bernal and just bully him. Um, and this seems like a decent place to do it, but maybe that's a pipe dream. What do you think? Is that beyond the realms of possibility? I believe it's certainly possible. There is the ability to do that. They've got the team for it. It will obviously depend on how strong that team is at this point in the race, but that's something we unfortunately can't predict with the amount of crashes we've seen at this point. Let's hope we don't see any of that in the first week of the Tour de France. We have a different kind of stage the day after. That is stage nine on the Sunday from Porto Lorraine. And honestly, it is a bit of a transitioning stage. We've got 
a pretty flat run-in. One fourth cat climb at the start, but that's most likely just for show for the KOM. And then we've got a proper climb in the middle. That is the Col de la Houssière and also the Col de Soudé after that. Those are some relatively significant climbs. 11.1 kilometer at 8.8% is that first one. The second one is not that long. Only 3.8 kilometers is basically going from one climb to the other and then dropping into the downhill. Towards the end, we've got two other climbs with about 35 to 40 kilometers to go. There's a small third cat climb that most likely won't influence too much. But with about a solid 20 kilometers to go, we've got the Col de Marie Blanc, which is 7.7 kilometers at 8.6%. I think that a breakaway will win the stage, and I'm going to put my money on Thomas de Hand because I've got the feeling that this stage fits him more than the ones I've been naming him for so far. Yeah, I agree. This, this stage fits him more uh, than I think you mentioned the mountaintop finish. It could be you know Roman Bardet. Uh, we've not even mentioned his name yet. We're an hour into this. We haven't mentioned the guy who got on the Tour de France podium before Roman Bardet because he's not even in contention for GC. If he's not in contention for GC, you know, he, he could do well in a breakaway here as well. He'd probably be able to climb better than most of his breakaway compatriots. So if I was actually to do Le Mondial, I'd be sending Bardet in the break in this sort of stage. Um, and yeah, descent into the finish, and then a flat section for about eight k's into the finish. But yeah, hard day the day before. I think it's going to be a uh, a breakaway win. Although there's a rest day afterwards. Yeah, it's true. But I've got a few names that I would like to name for the stage. Still, I believe that a Benot could be potential play. Certain uh, Anderson, depending on who they choose at Sunweb for this kind of stage, because they both would kind of fit to do this. Tishbeno doesn't have the real finish. Condison could potentially do that. Nonetheless, Greg van Avermaet also seems like a person that I'd put on. There's Daryl Impey, those kind of names. Maybe a Trenton, but Trenton has shown that he can climb quite a bit if he uh, is in the breakaway, but it is quite climby towards the end on that Marie Blanc, so I'm not sure if he can stick with proper climbers on that one in the breakaway. I mean, Trenton is... It's a Tour de France. He, he found... He found some unbelievable climbing legs last year. Him and Simon Yates, I seem to remember in a breakaway together. Uh, maybe it was the year before, but yeah. I wouldn't count Trenton out. I think that looks a little bit hard for him at the moment for where he is in the season. I think that 9%, 11K long climb at the start would just, he'd be losing at least a minute to riders like Hershey, uh, Bardet if he's there, and the other riders you mentioned as well. And Thomas de Hint. Then we got the first rest day on the Monday. I'll be I'll be taking a big rest. Uh, I'll have been live streaming for over a week straight. I'll be making videos for ITV. You'll be making stage previews, I presume, on your channel on on, on PCM. Don't say that with a laugh. <laughs> no, no, Siri just came up on my screen. That's why every Siri keeps thinking I'm talking to her. <laughs> stage ten. I think we, I think me, you, Ned Bolting, every man and his dog has now marked this down as a potential crosswind stage. Um, it's by the sea. They're crossing crossing marshlands, which is swept by wind. 170 k's long. It looks flat on the profile, but yeah, any anything could happen. This is 2020, but 
I still think it'll be a bunch sprint, to be honest. I believe as well, but I hope that it's going to be a reduced bunch sprint. I always love that stage in Zale on the Fears back, but I just hope that we see something that, like that once again. And hopefully it's this one, but it might also just disappoint, which I don't hope it does. I would put my money on a Kristoff or something. This is the kind of stage in the Street of France that he has something to offer, unlike quite a lot of the other ones. I believe that this is one that he can actually do something on. I don't know. I've got the feeling that there are quite a few names you could put on this because it could go either way. It could go pure mass print if there's not enough wind. But if there is enough wind, then we will basically see a massacre, I think. My pick is Peter Sagan because he could win either of the two. If it's bad crosswinds, you know, he could he could get into the first echelon. If it's, yeah, same with Wafanat, though, as well. Again, if Yamba Visma let Wafanat ride for himself in crosswinds, we saw in Paris Nice, I think. He was on the front, <laughs> created, created an echelon of one for a while in Paris-Nice in the crosswinds there earlier this year. But my pick is Peter Sagan for this stage, uh, either bunch, bunch sprint or not. I've got two teams that I think will try and make this an echelon business. And that is firstly the Quick Quickstep, obviously. They are one of the gods when it comes to uh, using the wind to their advantage. But I've also noticed quite a lot in the last year that Trexiga Fredo with Mess Pedersen and also with the likes of Steven and such have been using that to their advantage. I'm not sure about Moloma and Porto and their skills of using the wind to their advantage, but if their team focuses on it and has Mess Pedersen and such really focusing on the stage, I've seen Pedersen create echelons on his own in the last year, so I believe that that team could really show something here as well. Lotto Sudel has Gilbert, who won Echelon stages in the past, but I've got the feeling that the, the team surrounding him will focus all out on Ewan on this kind of stage to try and make sure Ewan survives and could potentially take this one, even if it comes down to an Echelon stage. And if, you are, if you're Richie Port and you actually want to get on the podium in this year's Tour de France, you're not going to beat the list of five to six G- GC guys. We've already mentioned ad nauseum on this podcast. You have to do something different. And looking at the way his team's set up, Edward Turns, Jesper Stuyven, Tom Skerns, and Mads Pedersen. From memory, Mads Pedersen did a fantastic job for Richie Port in Paris-Nice in crosswinds. This would be a stage where if I'm Port, yeah, he's probably not that good in crosswinds, I'll grant you, but just say... Let's try and put some pressure on Bernal and the South American, you know, harvest team is South Americans. Is Castro Viejo, yes, good time trialist, but he's not a big guy. How good is he in crosswinds? I know that Sivakov and Rowe and Van Baal are normally pretty good in crosswinds, but Sivakov's lost six kilos since Cadillac's road race. So if I was Port, I'd be encouraging them to do something like that. Um, but yeah, we'll see what the wind is like for that stage. The next stage, stage 11, pure sprint stage again. They come off the coast, no real climbs. There's a category four, but this is, at least it's only 167 k's long, but it'll be a bunch sprint, I think. I think that there's a small, tiny hill in the last kilometers. I think in the last five kilometers, a very tiny hill. Peloton might not be too worried about it, but... I don't know, it could influence the mass sprint and potentially get some people out of position and could lead to a, a bizarre finish. I do think that it's going to be a mass sprint and I'm just naming Caleb Ewan here. This is perfect for him. If FDJ took the Mar and Jacobo Guarnieri 
with this. If you look at the last five Ks of this stage, I'd be picking them. I think they'd smash smash it up that hill and from three Ks and then put De Koenig and, and Caleb Ewan under a lot of pressure and, and isolate Kluger with Ewan. But that's not who they brought. <laughs> so, yeah, Caleb Ewan is my pick. What do you think about Lotto Sudal's train compared to De Koenig here, for example? I think Lotto Sudal's train is much, much stronger. Yeah, I've got the feeling that that is certainly the case, mainly due to the fact that I've got the feeling the Koenig is only at the start of the Tour de France with relatively half a train. They couldn't pick Shane Archibald because I think if you watch, uh, I think it was in Burgos, maybe the stage that, if you go and watch closely, I wrote an article about it, the Burgos stage two, which Gavidia won, when FDJ swamped at a Koenig train, Archibald couldn't pull through. Um, and that was what really caused Bennett to be out of position. So I don't think Archibald was really in a condition to get around this course, but I might be wrong, but uh, it was surprising he didn't get picked. All right, let's let's get let's get wriggling. Stage 12, Chauvigny uh, to Assan, Collez. <laughs> no altitude. You guys are probably in girls have not heard the word altitude spoken for over an hour now, and that's because there really isn't too much altitude in this Tour de France, uh, which will suit Roglic, Pino, Buchmann over someone like Egan Bernal. This is another kind of transitional stage. Looks like a breakaway stage to me. There's a Category 2 with about 30 kilometres to go. I think this is the longest stage of the Tour de France. Yes, it is 220 kilometres long. My pick is Philippe Gilbert from a reduced breakaway. I believe that is very much possible, but I would like to first take in what you said earlier and about the fact that this Tour de France parkour is really limited in the amount of real altitude. And I think that's something we've seen over the years that Prudhomme, well, he obviously doesn't make the parkour just himself, but ASO really tries to focus on getting a Philippe an opportunity this year if he had the form of last year, but I think that's not the case. If you look at previous years in the Tour de France, they already tried to like make it less DT kilometers to try and get Baudet and Pinot a bit more of a chance. I don't know. I'm a bit of that conspiracy theory that it's always a bit towards the French when it comes to the parkour. Because this year it's so obvious. It's made for Alaphilippe. Just to the bone. All these stages have potential hill finishes, downhill finishes. Honestly, that's my opinion on that. But when it comes to the stage, I would expect the breakaway to take it. But when it comes to a name for it, I would not directly be able to say someone, maybe a Steven in a breakaway, but I think those last two hills will be a bit difficult to get over for him. So I might dare to say, well, I don't know how to pronounce his name properly, but the guy at Trek, Niklas Egg, apparently it's something like Niklas A in Danish. Yes. I've been corrected for making a mistake before. <laughs> I believe that I want to see Roland win a stage here after his great form in the Dauphiné, but I don't think it's no. going to happen yet. No. <laughs> he, he might go on that cat too, but it ain't happening. Pierre Roland is not winning a stage this year, but yeah, I agree with what you said about Julien Alaphilippe. I mean, I, I feel like we've been trying to throw out different names for people, but at the end of the day, Julian Alaphilippe, if he's on form, could rack up three three or four stage wins. Um, 
this once again is perfect for him. You got there's descent finishes in other stages, but then this stage with the finale and the category two and the last thirty kilometers. Uh I say Philip Gilbert just to throw a different name out there, but yeah, he he is looking a bit older and he's not a quick step anymore. Again, Benoit Cosnefra, um possibly. Thibaut Pino even, or even I mean the last the last kilometer is an undulating finish and and maybe you're right about Alaphilippe, and that's why, as you just said in the previous stage, Quickstep have brought more rulers than pure sprint train, and they want to have riders like Asgren and Trestevenens to control a breakaway to really set up Alaphilippe for a finale like this. You know who else could win this stage? Richard Carapath. Um, if he can win that Giro stage, he can win that Tour de Polonia stage, uphill drag he can de- he, he can definitely win this stage too i have a few names that we haven't really named yet we've not focused at all on bahrain because we all kind of expect those riders to go in support of landa but riders like a mohoric and such could really try something on this stage a bilbao i am not sure about a caruso i feel like he needs more climbing for that i also wanted to name someone else, but I've lost him for a second here. Well, you named him. I think that we saw, I think it was in the Vuelta, Osgren winning a stage that was also kind of hilly. So he's also come, I think, second or third, or was he the winner of the uh, the American race? Tour of California, he came third yeah. on GC last year, and he won a stage. He can climb. He came second in the stage last year. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm going to change sure. it. Osgren wins stage 12. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know why they didn't bring Cavagna. Uh, maybe that would have made them too too climbing focused. Uh, and Osgren's just got that motor. They need a Stibar to maybe help out a bit more in the sprints. But, yeah, there's so many people that could win this stage. Igita, maybe, might not be hard enough for him. Yeah, then we've got stage 14. It is, to me, a bit of a breakaway stage or potentially, yeah, I think it's going to be a breakaway stage once again, but we can say that with all the stages that have this kind of parkour, let me introduce it for you. We've got basically a parkour with plenty of hills among the parkour, but no real insane climbs throughout it. And we finish on the highest climb at the end, the Puy Marie. There is seven categorized climbs in this one, six among the parkour, seventh one is the finish. And they're all roughly about 3.5 to 10 kilometers. Most of them are about 4 to 5. And they are all around 5 to 7%. There is one, the Col de Neron, that is 9.1%. And that is the one that is just before the finish line. As in, the last climbing section of the race kind of looks like two climbs just behind each other. And the Col de Neron is the first part of that climb, of that finishing climb. And then we've got the Puy being the second part of that. I could be very wrong on that, but I recall this being some kind of volcano that they were riding towards, or a volcanic area they were riding towards. So that's pretty cool. Kind of hyped about that. One thing we haven't talked about is those, uh, those B signatures you see on the profiles. Those are those bonus points on these stages. We haven't really talked about them too much, but... We've had them on the last stage as well on one of the last hills, but I think this is the stage that really shines through as an opportunity to use it. Wait, what are they? What are they? 
What's that B? The B is the bonus points. We had them last year. Where um, Wait, second, Seconds or KOM points? Uh, seconds. Really? Hold your horses? <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. So at the end of the hardest climb of the day, in terms of gradient, they've got bonus seconds up for grabs. I mean, again, 4K is at 9.1%. we going for Roglic. <laughs> Inform Roglic probably, but it's not that long a climb. Get Philippe. The thing is, we've said a lot about these stages so far that it's really tuned towards... There's a lot of just hill stages, in my honest opinion. And that makes me really doubt whether it's going to be a GC guy or whether it's going to be a breakaway guy. I feel like this stage is made for the breakaway if it's in the Tour, but in the Vuelta, this would be a, a GC stage, which is difficult because this feels like a Vuelta parkour in the Tour de France. And... I've got the feeling that this is going to be still a breakaway stage. There are so many uphills and downhills that it's going to be really tough to control the race. There's going to be plenty of people that want to try and take a victory here. And the big mountains are to come in the last portion of the race, last portion of the Tour de France. So I think it's going to be mainly just breakaway riders trying to get this Primari stage. If you were in the yellow jersey, you want to let that break go and just be able to ride tempo up these not so hard climbs whereas if you're all coming into the base of you know you've got a short descent before the golden are on if you've caught the breakaway and then you're wearing the yellow jersey and you know maybe if Egon Bernal is wearing it even if Bernal for some reason is wearing it and then you've got that steep climb where maybe his teammates can't help him that much bonus seconds up for grabs then suddenly he's got Pino, Alaphilippe other riders attacking him, trying to get those bonus seconds and then maybe even carrying it on um, to the stage finish as well and getting more bonus seconds at the finish. So if I was wearing yellow, I'd let the break go and I wouldn't be too bothered about about bringing them back. Stage 14, this is another, it's just another hilly stage uh, into Lyon. Uh, not as hilly as the previous one. We've got three Category 4s one Category 2 and a Category 3. The, the biggest climbs are in the first half of the stage, Col de Biel, 10.2Ks at 5.6%. The Côte de Coru, 4Ks at 5.7%. That shouldn't bother people too much. I, I just want to make a note. I didn't mention it in the previous stage. Juan Farnard could luck into the green jersey, you know. If they at least let him go, they probably won't let him go for the sprint on this stage 14 because the intermediate sprint is before the first category two of the day and you'd be thinking that Wild Van Aert, based on what we saw in the Dauphiné would be the person making that long pull for Jumbo Visma at the base that starting from the base of that climb but the previous day I think the gun will be dropped if there's no breakaway Wild Van Aert lucks into those intermediate sprint points but this stage as well it could be a breakaway it's not hard enough for GC for there to be anything really happening on GC um, but Ineos and Visma are left to break go. But there's a Category 4 climb in the last 5 or 7 kilometres, the Côte de la Croix-Rousse, 1.5Ks at 5%. Nothing too too disturbing. Yeah, I think someone like Sagan can get over that pretty easily. I am going to name two occasions, in the sense that I'm going to name a rider that I think that can do well here for breakaway. I think Matej Mohoric would fit here 
I don't know, I don't feel like it's going to be an all-out sprint here, but the annoying thing about these stages is that you would be able to name breakaways as a finish on every stage here recently because they're just so well made to have breakaways win because the peloton, well, the sprinters will have a hard time getting over the Col de Bial, you've said it. But there's nothing to be gained from GC. There's no, there's no hard climb in the latter third of the stage that makes it any any incentive for any Ossiambavism or whoever's wearing yellow to really control things and set a hard pace. So, you know, you've got that. In the first 50Ks, you've got a nice Category 2 climb to just set the breakaway up for the day. It just seems set for the breakaway again. Now, everything can change. We, we could look like idiots at the end of the day because the race situation might completely turn things on their head. Alaphilippe might be wearing yellow or whoever, but on paper, again, looks like breakaway. It's I think Giacomo Nizzolo is my pick for this stage, actually. If it's not a breakaway, sorry, Giacomo Nizzolo. If it's a breakaway, I'm not going to name the 20 potential riders that could win. Yeah, that's roughly about the same opinion as I have. When it comes to stage 15, we have basically the start of the madness. We've got a stage from Lyon to the Grand Colombier. This is a relatively exact copy-paste of the stage that was in... Was it the Dauphiné or was it the Tour de Lain? Tour de Lain. Tour de Lain, okay. We've got three climbs in it. And it's basically you're running towards the middle of the stage, completely flat. But then we start off with the climbing... Two climbs, that is two first guide climbs. First of all, the Monte de la Selle de Fromentel, 11.1 kilometers, 8.1 percentage. Then we've got the next climb just after that, called La Biche, 6.9 kilometers, 8.9 percent. And then we've got a plateau of around 14 kilometers, 13 maybe, towards the Grand Colombier, the final madness of the day, 17.4 kilometers, a massive climb of 17.1 percent, 1,501 meters high. One of the highest we've been to so far, I think, if I go up in these stages. But yeah, it's basically the start of what I see as a stage is that GC is going to happen at. I believe that this one's going to be a, a GC favorite taking the stage. For sure. And if we see the Dauphiné Roglic uh, with the strength he has at Yamba Visma, he wins this stage and he puts time into, into Bernal, uh, in my opinion. And I think on the f- uh, the first climb of this stage was where I looked at Chris Froome's power data and he did okay. They did a pretty good time actually on, on the Monte de la Selle de Fromentel in the Tour de Lain, but I think Yamba Visma are going to really put Bernal under pressure here. And yes, I, I like I like Ineos team. I think they've sent the best team they can, but at the end of the day, who's going to be able to climb with Coos, Bennett, and Dumoulin. Like, name, is Karapath climbing at the level of Sepp Coos right now on climbs like this, on a, on a stage like this? I don't think so, based on what we saw at Burgos uh, and Tour de Polonia. I like him as a punchy finisher in stages where the VAM hasn't been insane, but, yeah, I think... This is the stage where we're going to see Dale's, Dave Brels had mentioned it, I think, or implied it at least in when he announced the Ineos team. I don't think we're going to see the Ineos trains set up like they did in Dauphiné Stage 2. 
because that'll just be setting themselves up for disaster. I think they're going to ride defensively and it's going to be up to Yumbo Visma to try and tear the race apart. I think they got the team to do it. Um, hopefully, hopefully Roglic is in good enough condition, but yeah, I think Roglic wins this stage. I think we need to make sure we don't tunnel vision too much on Roglic either. Although, obviously, he's the head favorite for this kind of stage. I believe that Buchmann, despite his crash earlier on this August, that he is still one of the favorites for the Tour de France, in my personal opinion, for top three at least. And I think he's got a good team for it. We've got Mulberger, Kemna, Groschadner. Those are people that can very much climb if they are in decent form. And if you look at that final climb, it looks like more of a roguelish terrain, mainly because it flattens out a tiny bit towards the finish line. So it fits that typical attack he did at the Dauphiné. At, yeah, at the Dauphiné. And I don't know, I feel like it might just be that kind of finish, but I don't see him dropping Buchmann or Pinot on the climb itself. I believe that he's going to entrust himself on his last kilometer once again. Well, I think uh, the, the overall color for Roglic in the Tour de France is, well, I'm going to beat Pino and Buchmann in the time trial, most likely, in stage 20. Just pick up pick up three seconds here, five seconds there on Buchmann and Pino. And I think those guys will actually be close to his wheel, particularly Pino and probably Carapath too in some of the other stages. But I think he could be gaining 10... 12 seconds on an isolated Bernal per stage, maybe even more. So he doesn't, when I say Roglic is the favourite for the stage, I don't think he's going to attack halfway up the climb and put two minutes into anybody. I just think he's going to win the, the sprint to the finish, um, to be honest. And uh, do you think, what about Quintana? We haven't mentioned Naira, man. Can Naira do anything on a stage like this? It's below altitude. It's got... It's probably not going to be a breakaway. GC guys will be really focused on it. I think he'll be there, but I don't think I don't think Naira will be contesting the stage win here. I don't have much confidence in Quintana, and it's basically because I don't believe he's up there with a Buchmann, Pino, and a Roglic and a Bernal when it comes to climbing. In the past, he was he was great in the past, but I just don't see it happening. I've got the feeling that he needs to lose time to be able to get a stage win. Otherwise, it's going to be really tough for him to do much. Yeah, he has to strategically almost just lose 20 minutes um, so that he's allowed to get into breakaways. I don't think he's even climbing. He's not even climbing as well as Richie Port right now. Richie Port looks pretty good. I know it's a meme at this point. I mean, <laughs> this is after stage, stage nine. nine. Yeah, is, 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 <laughs> <laughs> will Richie Port even be here? But. <laughs> you know, Paul, Paul's probably riding better than Quintana right now, and Paul's not even top five GC guy. So, yeah, Quintana is not going to get a leash to go here. Um, but yeah, that that goes into the stage two, or oh, the the second rest day rather, uh, after stage fifteen. Quite a hard second week, a lot of hills, just a lot of climbing in that second week, but not a lot of, not no altitude at all. And not a lot of HC climbs, but just a lot of climbing and a lot of difficult decisions, I think. All those stages, and I, I feel like we were all struggling a little bit to say, well, it's going to depend on the race situation, what's going to happen, you know. It's, I think there's going to be hard decisions for DS to say, do we chase, do we let the break go, 
what can we get out of this stage? Stage 16 into the last week of the Tour de France. One of those stages similar to the ones I was just talking about. Um, no altitude, two category two, the category four at the start, which might let the breakaway, you know, the breakaway is going to go there in that first category four. And then not a very difficult category one climb um, with about 30 kilometers to go. It crests with 30 kilometers to go, 11.1 Ks at six and a half percent. A false flat descent for about 12 to 15 kilometers, and then a perfect finish for ben, Benoit Cosnefroy or Julien Alaphilippe. 2.2 k's at six and a half percent average gradient to Villard de Good. What do you think? I, I don't think this will be a breakaway, I think this will be a reduced bunch finish. And because Quick Step will want to set up Alaphilippe for this stage, I don't see them being able to control the race because we're in the third week. People will attack with like 20, 30 people sometimes in stages like this to try and get potentially a, an endless breakaway of like 14 people in the end. But I've got the feeling that this is going to be a breakaway stage. Yeah, I think Jesus Harada is a, is a nice pick for a stage like this. Uh, getting, you know, loves getting to a breakaway. Did he come top three or win a breakaway, a similar finish in the Vuelta uh, last year? If my memory serves me correctly, yeah, I agree. Now you know. Now I think about it. If you're wearing the yellow jersey, or if you're Ineos Yamba Visma, you want to let that, you want to let that break go. You want you want to let that break gobble up the bonus seconds. There's not the climbs are not hard enough to really gain any time on GC. You know, we've not mentioned any really any climbs that are long, over eight percent gradient this entire Tour de France. It's it's all steady gradient climbs where having someone to draft behind will make a big difference so again not sure who'll win that stage but you think it'll be a break i think it'll be i think it'll be a reduced bunch i've got the feeling we haven't really focused on ef too much i believe that martinez is a top five favorite in this tour de france someone with the elite guys but not really totally yet i don't see him winning the tour de france though i believe he can get fourth or fifth in this tour de france but next to him in that team, we've got Uran. I don't expect anything from Uran, even though he has shown real consistency in Grand Tours, that he contends. When he doesn't crash, he shows that he's consistent. And he is up there, but he's never really up there, up there with the big guns. But Higita, man, this is a stage for him to the bones, in my honest opinion. Yeah, Higita. Another guy we haven't mentioned for that team, Hugh Carthy. You know, he won that stage at Tour de Suisse. Um pure climber could he probably not this stage but yeah if there's a really mountainous stage where he gets in a breakaway it could be one for him well could tom dumoulin win what happens if roglic is out you know imagine if they send dumoulin i'll probably be riding for him on gc but yeah i i'm actually expecting dumoulin to really perform and be putting a lot of people under pressure even in stages like this if yumbo visma decide to do you expect Tom Dumoulin to peak in the third week? Yes, I actually do. <laughs> I actually do expect him to peak in the third week, even though he's not on Ineos. Other riders not on Ineos have found ways to peak in the third week, but I think the racing will all suit him. On the fifth day of Dauphiné, he was looking his best he has yet. Um, but yeah, it depends on how hard how much, how hard it has been for him in the two weeks preceding, preceding that stage. But... The next stage is 
the deciding moment for Egan Bernal. And this we might spend a little bit of time on this stage. Stage 17, Grenoble to Col de la Loz. Highest point, the souvenir only de Grange, which is for the highest altitude point in the Tour de France. Mountaintop finish, all category climb, 21.5 Ks at 8% average gradient, finishing at 2,304 metres. It's preceded, sorry, it's a 170 kilometre long stage, but it is preceded by the Col de la Madeleine, 17.1 Ks at 8.4% average gradient. In years gone by, this is just pure Ineos train and then setting up Egan Bernal to go on the steepest part. And I believe there is quite a, there is a steep part of Col de la Luz. Correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, at the end it gets quite steep. If you look on the uh, profile, there's some 18% pinches, apparently a 24% pinch. I'm not sure if I believe that. But the last, the last three, four kilometers, you know, average 11%, 10%, 10%. So altitude, Bernal, I still don't think it'll be enough for him. I would hope that it is enough for him to be strong enough to see a real spectacle here. Because this is the stage where I would be expecting that. This isn't the kind of stage that I would kind of compare to the Tourmalet stage where Schleck and Contador fought each other. It kind of has the same format in the sense that there's a climb in the middle and that is the Madeleine. Beautiful downhill in the plateau section towards that last climb. But yeah, I believe that this could be a real spectacle, but it depends a lot because Jumbo Visma has really shown their strategy the last two races they rode. And the strategy really closes down the race. And I hope that someone finds a gap in that strategy, not because I'm against Jumbo, but because that might show more spectacle on these kind of stages. Okay, so on this stage, say it won't happen, but say Roglic and Bernal are neck and neck. They're each on the same time on GC going into this stage. How much time does Bernal have to gain on Roglic in this stage, given that stage 18, which we'll get to properly, kind of looks like another breakaway stage, no altitude, although it does have a steep climb in it, and then stage 19 looks like a transitional or breakaway stage, and then you've got the time trial, which Roglic is, all things being equal, going to put time into Bernal in. What's a win for Bernal on this stage, and what's, What's a failure? Obviously, if they come in at the same time, not a not a success. But I even think forty five seconds or a minute is not good. Is not enough on Roglic, and that's a lot if Roglic is in good form and Jumbo Visma have been able to control the race before it really hits the over two thousand meters altitude. He still needs quite a bit to stay ahead of Roglic towards that coming time trial, so he will need quite a bit of an advantage but the advantage that he has I think is that we've seen Roglic kind of evaporate in races before obviously it might have been due to conditions in the race in that Giro where he lost time towards the end he crashed and also was apparently sick in that second week I do feel like when Roglic decides to die down it happens quite quickly that he loses a lot of time so i don't know i've got the feeling that if bernal finds a way to break roglic 
then he might be able to take quite a lot of time quickly, but it will be hard to get like two minutes or a minute and a half even on this climb on the Roglic because, yeah, if he's in good form and Bernal's also in good form, then we're going to see a spectacle and it's going to be hard to predict who takes it against the other person. And, you know, a lot of people criticised Nairi Quintana over the years for not attacking uh, Ineos from far out. And it's kind of similar. The cards have kind of, re- you know, reverse card. Now it's Bernal, the Colombian altitude specialist, having to attack the time trialist turn climber Primoz Roglic. But gaining two minutes, two minutes is a lot. Col de goes to 400 metres higher altitude than Col de la Luz. Remember, Bernal only, quote-unquote, he put two minutes into Alaphilippe last year over the top of Col de Zara, correct me if I'm wrong, and I think one minute into the Thomas group. And Alaphilippe was fucked. Like, he was, he could barely, you could see he was like a fish out of water at that high altitude. He was like gasping air all over the bike, although he's kind of always all over the bike. Um and Bernal only put two minutes into him. So <laughs> I don't see how, unless Roglic cracks completely, and this isn't high, high altitude. Yes, 2,300 metres, it is altitude, and it makes a difference that 300 metres over 2,000 metres, but it's not high, high altitude like Col de Zerin or even the Galibier. Um, so, yeah, I don't see him putting more than a minute into Roglic, if that, to be honest. We might see a bit of tunnel vision that we currently have disappear on this stage because we're focusing so much on Bernal and Roglic here now. I would not really count out Pino Buchmann at this very moment. Buchmann, if he is okay when it comes to his form in the Tour de France, um, then he certainly can show stuff on this stage. I'm going to tell you that I believe that if Roglic or Bernal get beaten by another rider, that this stage is going to be really decisive in that. One thing we haven't really talked about is the fact that we might already have a lot of gaps because of the hill stage, not necessarily because of the parkour, but hill stages really bring nervousness in the peloton because everybody wants to be at the front for every kill. And we might see a lot of trouble there in the sense that, I don't want to say it, but people might crash beforehand and we might have GC favorites that are way behind on this kind of stage that have to really push it forward and attack very early on on these kind of stages already in the last week because they still want to bring something to their GC or to a stage win. So, yeah, it might be very different than we are expecting right now because right now we're taking on this discussion as if everybody's in the same time for this stage. But I think we're already going to have loads of gap before this stage even starts. Yeah, for sure. I mean... Whilst we have spoken about it as if it's going to be Roglic and Bernal head-to-head, probably chances are that doesn't happen. And it could even be Bernal defending a four-minute lead in this stage to Pino. It could be Pino wearing the yellow jersey with no teammates having to defend attacks left, right and centre on this final climb. And I'd love to see that. That would be fantastic. It could Um, be Central Startup Nation's Guy Niv in yellow, 10 minutes above everybody. Fighting it off. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know what will happen. I just know that if all things go to plan and Bernal and Roglic and the other favourites are close, Bernal and Ineos, this is their stage uh, and they have to do something there. But then the next day, 
it has another, you know, over 4,000 metres of climbing again, two Category 1s, a Category 3, a long Category 2 that's probably quite close to being a Category 1, and then an Category climb, a steep one too, Monte du Plateau de Glière, six kilometres long at 11.2% average gradient. None of this, by the way, is at high altitude. Uh, nothing goes over 2,000 metres, although Cornet de Rosalind gets pretty close at the start. Everyone's going to be pretty tired at this point. Bearing in mind, there's been no Giro or really a lot of racing beforehand. I know some guys have been training hard and some haven't. This could, anything could happen on this stage. Um, but do you think, I know you're going to say breakaway again. <laughs> I'm going to mix it up a bit though, in the sense that I am going to say breakaway because this one's shouting breakaway at us. We could easily say Alaphilippe because he's one stage like this before. But I think that at this point in the race, we will have seen Lopez lose so much time in GC that Izaguirez will be allowed to go for it. And one of the Izaguirez will win the stage. I just feel it. That's a good call. One of these, they've looked good. One of them won that Spanish race. And then your boy, what's what's your boy's name that came third or second in that stage as well? Aramburu? Um, yeah. You know, they're looking pretty good. Astana are looking really good. You know, full sang. And, and Vla- imagine if they had Vlasov in this Tour de France going for, for getting into breakaways. That would be insane. You know, but who knows? If Pino crashes out, could be Sebastian Reichenbach being put into breakaways. Um, I'm going to agree with you. I agree with you that uh, it'd probably be a breakaway, but I also think there'll be GC action. There's bonus seconds at the top of the Ors category climb. It's 6Ks at 11.2%. That's just calling out for Bernal once again, although it's not at altitude. If Bernal, again, if Ineos are three, four minutes behind um, whoever is leading, Buchmann, Pino, Martinez, Roglic, if, if Ineos are behind, they're not happy settling for second place. We saw that in Froome, 2018 Giro, and I don't think Bernal is happy with second place either. Could this be a stage similar to the Froome-Landis stage <laughs> where Ineos try to launch, launch someone, Bernal or Carapaz, Maybe not so early, but definitely launch him on that climb, that last hard, steep climb. Could definitely be possible. I do believe that this stage is going to be extremely packed with attacks on the first climb already. Comedoros and all, plenty of GC favorites that have lost time will open up the race really early because it's basically up and down till the finish line. There's no proper plateau section. Maybe five kilometers between the third and the second to last uh, climb. Outside of that, it's basically all climbing and downhill, so it's perfect for breakaways, so I expect at least 30 riders to attack on the Comet de Rosalon, because <laughs> I, I genuinely feel that we'll see such a big pack of riders attack on the stage, they'll act like it's that F1 start stage they tried, was it last year or the year before? Oh, grid, grid position, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That. I, yeah I think the, the break could be so large that, you know, this isn't a perfect science. If I was a GC contender, I'd just be trying to you know, wear a different colored helmet that day and some different sunglasses and shoes and try and sneak into that breakaway. And <laughs> like, I love Kwiatkowski and Amador and co, but as you said, if you guys look, if you're looking, if you're following, following along the parkour, it's a tooth comb. And I'm not sure how, you know, Luke Rowe's gone. 
and probably on that first climb. Same with Yumbo uh, Visma, so strong. But yeah, it's just going to be difficult for teams to control, especially if it's a really large breakaway. But this is really the last, the last place before the individual time trial for people to have their last throw of the dice. I think it's actually a, a master stroke. Uh, some credit has to go to ASO and the Tour de France. I mean, it, it's always difficult making a route because, you know, you never know how the race is going to actually play out and, you know, the route that could that you've made which could encourage attacking actually turns out to encourage defensive riding because of a few things that change. But the way this is set up before that individual time trial in a transitional stage tomorrow, it's just going to be attacks, 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 and people going for this stage and on GC. So this should be a really exciting stage. So mark it down in your little notebooks. Do you agree? I certainly agree. And it's basically the last stage that I do expect potential GC action outside of that time trial. Indeed, like you said, because the next one is from Bourg-en-Bresse to Champagnol. It is, I think, classified as a flat stage or a hill stage. I think it's classified as a flat stage. It could be very wrong there, but I think it's a breakaway stage. <laughs> Sorry, but it's the well, last week. Pr- They're going to try Christian it. Christian does not agree with you. Prudhomme says this is for the sprinters who survived the Alps to seize the opportunity to shine. <laughs> I don't think I think so. it's the kind of stage that at Trenton and Jasper Steven, those guys that are not the climbers that can survive hilly stages, that well, that they will try and survive this stage in a breakaway, try and go for it. And Nasgren, I said it before, on a more hilly stage, this one fits him a bit more. I would even dare to say a Tim the Kaletic would go into this breakaway, even though he's got Bennett in his team, so that might kind of fuck things up a bit. Outside of that, I've really got no idea how sprinters would be able to keep this one under control, honestly. Well, I, I made this case on ITV and uh, I kind of got laughed at when did the t- Tour de France preview there. And I said, what what happens if Egan Bernal is, is a minute behind Pino or uh, Roglic on this and we're coming into this stage? any second and they've got maybe Carapath in third what do any of us do do they just accept not winning the Tour de France and just hope hope that someone falls down or do you my my argument was that's not what that organization is designed for and not just them I think Pino Buchmann Jumbo Visma all these guys are coming to win this isn't like participation year where people are happy getting second all these guys have had good Palmer you know, results before. They're all here with one goal to win. And I think Ineos won't let the last opportunity to win go begging. And there's enough punchy climbs here where they'll at least, they would have to at least try something. Or do you think that's just insane and it's not nearly hard enough? I don't know. It depends a lot on how the race is ridden, as we've said quite a few times already. It also depends on who's ahead, because if, for example, Roglic is like two minutes behind, I, well, one minute and a half behind or something, then I would still see him betting on the time trial. While if a Bernal is behind, he most likely will not be betting on the time trial. So, I don't know, I feel like it's going to be depending on who's ahead and such to see what happens on this stage. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see 
I think some I think someone will make a mistake here. I think I think what someone on GC will uh, think that they're going to gain more time on their time trial than they or have a better time trial than they actually do, and they'll be ruining not at least trying something on this stage. Or maybe really you got to you got to lay your cards out on the stage before. But we finally got to it. Stage twenty. This is one of the stages I'm most excited for. The only individual time trial in the entirety of the Tour de France because ASO are sick of Freeman Wiggins and Grant Thomas and Tom Dumoulin <laughs> star riders 36.2 k's finishing on La Planche de Belfi not at altitude it's 30 kilometers of pretty much flat slat, slightly oh no slightly undulating terrain but obviously Time, you know, they'll be going over 40 kilometers an hour for the first 30 kilometers and then six kilometers at eight and a half percent mountaintop finish. Who's your pick for stage win? I'd expect a good time trial. I would start with the GC favorites as well from riders like a Caruso or a Bilbao, naming two Bahrain riders by accident there. But yeah, Bil- Bilbao, not bad. Time trials to the end of the Grand Tours. What do you say? Sorry, I said, yeah, Pelo, Pelo Bilbao. Underrated time trials, especially for uh, someone we think of as a Spanish, you know, more of a Spanish climber. Um, he's actually not bad, especially in a mixed, a mixed time trial like this. He just won the uh, Spanish national championships individual time trial. Actually, uh, making make myself sound like a genius. He won it, won it four days ago. I didn't know that, by the way. Next to that, I believe that GC wise, yeah, this is obviously the ultimate ending. The um person that does well here will most likely also make a big move in GC because this is a stage on which you can make serious gaps happen. If, for example, Roglic or something ends up winning the stage and taking yellow, that's one hell of a way to finish it. But it's going to be interesting. We've got Pogacar that we haven't spoken about much. His form is a bit... Well, I'm a bit unsure about his form, and that's why I haven't mentioned him too much. But he could be pretty amazing. Last year, his form pre-Die Vuelta was not extraordinary either. He was decent at Algarve being great there. But, like, it was a long while until we had the Vuelta then last year, on which he started off pretty mediocre and eventually just grew into the race and eventually won three stage wins that, if I say so myself, I predicted every single one of those before the Vuelta even started. <laughs> Nonetheless, I would like to um, address this sort of France more in his ideal. And if I recall correctly, Pogacar is Slovenian and C time trial and not Roglic. So he can certainly time trial quite well. I'm going to say that this stage is going to be won by Tadej Pogacar. That's a good call. I mean, we saw the Slovenian National Championships individual time trial. I presume most of you have seen my video about it. Pogacar famously did a bike change from a road bike to a TT bike midway through the stage. That that ITT champs was the reverse, the sorry, the mirror of this stage. It had a climb in the first half, although, well, the first two-thirds of the time, so 20 minutes out of the 32 minutes, was climbing, and then he changed over to a TT bike for the last 10 to 12 minutes of that stage. And he beat Roglic. Now, Roglic... Not his best day. Um, 
he wasn't on mass on great form, I don't think. When you look at the power data, Roglic didn't change his bike. Will they have learned from that? Bora Hansgrohe at Sibiu Tour, they had an uphill time trial quite steep. They used TT bikes, Conrad and uh, Gregor Mulberger. I think that wasn't the most the best choice there either. I think Tom Dumoulin is going to win this stage. I think he's going to win it by 20 seconds, at least 25 seconds. I think the undulating time trials like this suit the climbing time trial specialists almost more than the flat ones. Not Maybe not more, but I don't think the climb helps riders like Bernal and Quintana that much as opposed to just a pure climb TT on a road bike. Um, I think I've already stated this in my video when I did the Slovenian chance video. I think it's going to be mathematically better to do a bike change because there is a significant speed difference between the climb and the first 30 kilometers. The first 30 kilometers will be well over 40 k's an hour, and La Planche de Belfi is, you know, it's quite steep, and there's some steep pin there's some parts over 10% in that climb. Um, looking at the profile now, there's a 13% pinch in the first kilometer. There's a 20% pinch at the end. Do you really think, I don't think it's a good idea for Quintana and Bernal to be wrestling a TT bike in that. So what's brilliant about this is we're going to see someone fuck it up completely. <laughs> we know we see with bike changes. Yeah, Roman Bardet knows, already knows. But it's going to be a great talking point. Do you think everyone should bike change or no? The thing is, I honestly am not really known into the uh, expertise of whether a bike change is worth it or not, haven't done the calculations, you're more of the mad guy here, so that's why um, I'm going to leave this one to you. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll, I'll do calculations. I'll do a video pleading my case before the stage, but I think when you calculate the weight savings, I mean, sure, if, if the World Tour teams can get their TT bikes to 6.8 kilos, be my guest, but uh, I don't think they can, so especially not the Roman Bardet's factor. But yeah, I think Dumoulin wins this. I I don't know about Roglic. Something about the Tour de France in 2018 still scares me in the back of my mind. That time trial where he lost 90 seconds to Chris Froome and Chris Froome was on his last legs, you know, at the end of that Tour de France. Oh, something about that, yeah. Next to that, I've got just a bad feeling about the stage he even won in the Giro last year to uh, San Marino. The, um... The time trial where Campanarts would have won if he didn't have a puncture, which says a lot considering the last portion of that stage was so extremely uphill into San Marino that I've got the feeling that, yeah, I've said it before, I've got a feeling that he's traded in a bit of his time trial abilities into the skill of climbing, and that might cost him the stage win here. Are you sure it was a puncture that Campanarts had? I thought he tried a bike change and they stuffed it up. I reckon, I reckon this is the one where Campanats, um, <laughs> yeah, he had, he had a bike change and really? they stuffed it up because yeah, the mechanic put him in like the fifty three twelve gear, and it was wow. on the uphill where he changed to the road bike and he couldn't pedal. <laughs> and Bradley Wiggins, I agreed with him. He said that guy, the Swanio, whoever, should be fired. Okay, case corrected. It's going to be interesting to see what people do in the Planche de Belfi 
I, I love that they've put this here. It reminds me of when Cadell Evans won the Tour de France in 2011 when he beat Schleck handily in that time trial to win by what it was a very small margin. I think it makes the race more exciting and it's going to cause DSs and riders a lot of sleepless nights because, you know, if Pino's wearing yellow, he's looking, he's looking comfy. He's looking fantastic. He even has – got Yamba Visma on the ropes in, say, stage 18. Roglic looking vulnerable. Pino's in, he's in yellow. He's, two, he's 90 seconds ahead of Roglic, and he just he just rests on his laurels and rides it in and doesn't really take advantage of it too much and then loses the Tour de France by five seconds because Roglic comes storms in the time trial or Dumoulin or whoever. That would be fantastic theatre. So hopefully something like that happens. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be heartbreak for Pino at some point. But, okay, that was stage 20. Any other last thoughts on stage 20, Benji? I I don't know. I've got the feeling that it's going to be very decisive, but I've also got the feeling that the stages beforehand will already make a solid gap. So it's going to be curious. A lot of gaps can be created on a time trial. So I don't know. I've got the feeling that it's going to do a lot when it comes to the top three more than potentially the winner in the sense that there's going to be a lot of fight for the uh, second and third spot as well. And, yeah, I said it. Bogatra is my guy for this one. Fair shout. I mean, he beat Roglic in a similar sort of time trial. All right, stage 21. We can do this quickly. We all know it. Champs-Élysées, 122Ks. My pick's Caleb Ewan. Same, same as last year's winner. Who's your pick? I am going to say that the winner of this one is going to be a rider that has said that he wants to go for this. And I'm also basically saying this because I'm Belgian. And oh, I know. <laughs> I'm going to shout Wout van Aert for this one. I have to. But as an addition, I would love to have someone just attack away in that stupid tunnel in the last kilometer and a half. It won't work. But Vinokurov. Alexander Vinokurov special. Just like Lampard tried as well. And if I have to name someone from that, it will be someone at the Koenig that will try that. So it's either Stibar or Ben, no, not Bennett, Asgren to do that. So maybe those two, I don't know, potentially someone of Trek Segafredo, like a Turns and a Steven could do those crazy attacks. But then again, they're basically the sprinters for their team. So, well, Mess Peterson potentially as well after what he's shown previously in August. But I don't know. I hope that someone wins on the Champs-Élysées in the next 20 years with an attack in the last two kilometers. But it sure doesn't look like it. Hopefully, my biggest gripe, and I'm gonna this. This is our podcast, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get on my soapbox here. My, it, I think if someone is within five or ten seconds on GC in the Tour de France, they should try something in stage twenty-one and screw the tradition. But it probably never happened. But that's what I would do if I was a a team a director. I'd tell, tell people to attack the other GC rider or Sean. Honestly, so. me as well. Um, mainly because I feel like a race is still a race, and also as an addition, it would be really amazing to just have them take pictures at the start of the race, drinking some champagne, and towards the end of the stage, be like, "Fuck it, I'm attacking." Yeah, <laughs> just take exactly. the yellow jersey. They go back to the team car to do a photo shoot, you know, like Sky did, and you just attack them. I would do it. But I'm a I would terrible do it as person, well, but I'm so. a terrible person too. <laughs> We're two hours in. People want to actually know what are our predictions. Let's start with the easy stuff, all the easier stuff first. Young rider classification. My pick is Danny Martinez. Oof, Bernal's still eligible, right? Does he? If Bernal wins the tour, does he? 
does he forfeit the the youth? Well, technically not, because he still win the other the white jersey. No, he wins. He wins both. He wins both. Yeah. He just doesn't wear both. No, I think Danny Martinez. I think Danny Martinez. I'm I'm, I'm very low on Bernal. I am becoming a bit of a not a fan of Bernal, but I like his personality. He's a kind guy, so I hope he does well. But I am rooting for a surprise in this Tour de France. And Martinez is certainly one of the riders that I've got in my top four for this Tour de France. So a white jersey would fit him. And that might cost Bernal that white jersey and a good GC. I, I just think sometimes when you're the second GC favorite and you have to work really hard at defending attacks or trying to actually win the Tour de France, that energy expenditure can cost you even the podium. So that's the that's the, the the sort of cost or trade back of having to go for the actual trying to win. Whereas Danny Martinez will just ride his own race, pick his opportunities where he has to, zero pressure. Pogacar is obviously up there as well. He's probably the third name in there. I think he's going to lose a lot of time. I think he's going to show. I think he's going to have a good showing in this tour, but I think he's going to lose a lot of time on one of the stages. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I've got the feeling that I might actually change that to Bogacar now. Yeah, I will. <laughs> my, my YouTube. Yeah, yeah. We, we got to have different picks. You can tell we didn't rehearse this beforehand. Yeah. I'm going to go for Pogacar. You for Martinez. Okay. I'm Martinez, you're Pogacar. And currently, Egan Bernal is being given a 60% chance of winning that by the betting markets. The Mountains classification, Julian Alaphilippe is currently the favorite for that. He's being given about a Ooh, 16% chance of winning. It's always incredibly difficult to pick because it just depends on what breaks go, etc. But, you know, names names are Alaphilippe, Bardet, Roglic, De Gent, Warren Buggy, Adam Yates. Tim Wellens is off the board now because he had that accident just before Tavare Formolo. I'm going with Alaphilippe. I have to do another pick. I believe that Alaphilippe has a big chance, but I am going to name a name that could potentially do it but he's most likely not going to go for it and that is Mark Hershey I believe that he's got the punch to take those sprints and I believe that he's shown that he can climb somewhat with the better breakaway riders during the Dauphiné but he did that in the peloton group then yeah I believe he can do it but he just has to get the green light for it and be motivated to do it as well all right we'll get to your local book bookmaker Benji because you get pretty good odds on Mark Hirschi. I reckon you could get 150 to 1, 200 to 1. Points classification. Now, I'm almost more interested in this than the yellow jersey, just because of... I know that sound now, that's a lie. I'm lying to you all. First... <laughs> second podcast, I'm lying to the audience. I'm not as excited about it, but I am pretty excited about it. I'm more excited about it than previous years where it it's kind of just a formality. Peter Sagan is obviously the favourite for it, but not as heavy as you might expect. He was a heavy favourite for it last year. But this year he's only been given about a 40% chance. No, sorry. 55% chance, 57% chance of winning it by the betting markets. Sam Bennett's the second favourite. He's been given a 20% chance. And then Wild Van Aert is third favourite. What do you think of just even that order, Bennett over Wout van Aert? I believe that's mainly because Wout van Aert has been set as destined to be domestique. 
I believe that Kreisweg's disappearance has made him more important to the train of Roglic, so that he might even get less freedom right now. I hope that he gets freedom because, yeah, he should deserve it, kind of. Outside of that, Peter Sagan obviously has to be a name that you name for this. You can't just not name him for green. He is the legend, the Hulk of green. And yeah, I believe that Peter Sagan is obviously going to uh, have a big chance of green just because people sometimes tend to say that Peter Sagan will win it anyway, so we shouldn't really go for it. <laughs> because that's sometimes how it has been in previous years. While there have been riders that could have done at least something to potentially get something out of it. What do you think about it? Will, will Sam Bennett even finish this Tour de France? I mean, there's some hard stages in there. But they're not that but they're not that long. They're not that long either. So there's not that many over there's only one stage really over two hundred kilometers long. But mm, I still think I'm gonna be watching stage one extremely closely. If Jumbo Visma don't even let Wavanat lead out, uh, contest the sprint, I'll be betting very, very heavily on Peter Sagan um, because that'll be an indication of really how seriously they're taking not letting Wavanat work in it. Oh, sorry, not letting Wavanat ride for his own chances. But yeah, it's going to be, it still should be Sagan favourite and he's still my pick for the green jersey. When it comes to the yellow jersey, now the most important crown on the Tour de France, the Maillot Jaune, who do you think is going to win the Tour de France 2020? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to not look at I'm trying to because I only think I only think in value and betting odds. I don't really think in 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 absolutisms and certainties. Well, for full transparency, I've got $6,000 against Roglic right now. That's not going to be the case at the start of the Tour de France. That's just a price movement thing. But that is because I'm not as bullish on Roglic's chances as maybe the public was at least a week ago. I really I really want to see, I don't even know if he'll start, but I really want to see how he looks on that stage two. I think after stage two, I can give you a really firm answer on who I think will win. I think Pino for the podium is just a, an absolute lock. I think Pino is the second strongest rider in this race. I think the parkour suits him better than Bernal. I think Ineos will not be as strong this year as they have in previous years as a team, as a whole. You know, bringing Carapaz in from the Giro is just, it reeks of something off at Ineos and not the best preparation. But if Roglic is healthy, I think he wins comfortably, to be honest. And if he's not, I think Tom Dumoulin wins and Pino is second and Bernal third, or even Pogaccia third. Uh, I think Buchmann is too, is actually quite injured. I don't think Buchmann will do well, unfortunately. But, yeah, my pick is Roglic, but if he's injured, Tom Dumoulin. I'm going to be uh, a bit more harder towards the uh, spectacle of cycling, and I am going to see this race as Ineos, which is the first order. They look like those guys from Star Wars. And we've got Jumbo Visma, the Killer Wasps, fighting each other. But I think it's going to be someone else coming out on top. Because I feel like that would make the race a lot more entertaining to watch. So I kind of hope for the uh, most entertaining part. And therefore, 
I will name a few riders that are in my top three and then name the person that I think is going to win it out of those. The riders that are in my top three in no particular order are Buchmann, Pogacar, and Bernal. I think that Pogacar is going to win the Tour de France 2020. Ahead of Buchmann, I think Buchmann's going to be in yellow before the ITT. And Pogacar will overtake him there. I don't know what will happen to Roglic in the meanwhile. <laughs> why he's out the podium for me. But I don't know why. I'm of the opinion that Roglic and the strength his team has shown in the Dauphiné closes down mountain stages to make it less entertaining for the viewer a tiny bit. That's not their goal, but that's a consequence, unfortunately. Which makes me hope that their strategy of keeping the race closed fails a bit so that we see open attacks and a really just a spectacle in the last week. And that is where I think Roglic would collapse if he does not have the support because he's not good at making decisions. I don't think he's a good, I don't think he's a good racer. I not sure what you mean with racer. Do you mean like as in strategic thinking during the race or? Yeah, just making just making an on the spot decision without teammate support to set pace for him about do I chase, do I not chase? We saw that in the Giro last year. I think in one day races, different kettle of fish, but I think I'm not sure I trust Roglic to make the best decision. I think his decision is usually I'm the strongest, mash pedals, um, or sit behind train. Yeah, I believe that as well. And um therefore I think that Pogacar is going to win the Tour de France ahead of uh Buchmann and the fat and will be Bernal. I mean, yeah, I think I think it will be open. If Roglic hadn't crashed at Dauphiné, I'd just tell you one name, Roglic, and I wouldn't have had to have spoken for five minutes. But that's not what happened. So um, I'm I'm more excited for this Tour de France than I have been in a long, long time, just because it's so open. Yes, there's been crashes and injuries, etc. But I can't wait to watch it. This year has just been so shit for everybody coronavirus i can't believe the tour is even is even happening some people think it shouldn't i think we, we've been touring for a long time so we're not going to talk about the corona stuff we're just going to assume the tour is going ahead power of positive thinking <laughs> but if you guys if you guys liked our picks hit us up on instagram or comment on the youtube video for this or maybe even in the review the five star review you give who do you think we're insane do you think we're high, the, the picks we've had? I mean, do you think me saying Pino on the podium is out of the question? I don't think it's that crazy a selection, to be honest. But, yeah, I think the one thing we can all agree on is no one really knows what's going to happen. No one knows whether the teams will be strong enough to control all these hilly stages, what condition these guys will be in. It's just so uncertain, and that's what I'm so excited about because we're going to have to make decisions day by day. But yeah, what are you, last last thoughts, Benji, on this tour? Last thoughts is that it's one of the most open tours that I've, well, recently experienced. And therefore, I do believe that it's going to be a spectacle. I hope that the strategies of both Ineos and Jumbo collapse so that we see a massacre happen like the last stage in the Dauphiné this year, because that was just action from start to finish. And that was because the Jumbo train collapsed, let's be honest. So... Yeah, I am looking forward to it. I hope that it is a wonderful race. I hope we don't have any uh, corona issues like we uh, just said. Stay positive. 
there's plenty of potential issues there but yeah let's stay positive i sincerely hope that we can do this as safe and entertaining as possible because that is basically what we need to make this a wonderful tour de france okay you got Pagacha. i got roglic slash 1b dumala i'm having a little little get out of jail card there in case roglic is injured remember guys and girls we will be making a podcast, a recap, every day for this Tour de France. Straight after the stage is finished, we're going to get on the, the phone to each other and do a stage recap. Not as long as this. I know this is obscenely long, but we got carried away. We we, we agreed to be 75 minutes. We're nearly at double that. But come on, Tour de France is once a year. I didn't even know it would be happening. Give us a break. The recaps will be 30 to 40 minutes long. Make sure you subscribe on the relevant platform that you're listening on to get notified about them they'll be going up like two and a half hours three hours after the stage if not earlier and follow us on instagram at the lantern rouge benji nison or check out our youtube channels if you haven't they're all in the description and make sure you guys comment as well let us know what do you want to hear from our recaps what do you want to hear from our podcast we want to hear your thoughts whether it's on the discord benji's discord on my discord or instagram or wherever We've got my maths and analytical skills. We've got Benji's in-depth knowledge of just about every rider in the, in the pro peloton. Thanks for listening to the Tour de France preview from the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. Thanks for joining, Benji.